0: Hey, good morning everyone. It's so great to have you here with us. Just a heads up that we will be doing communion this morning, so make sure you've got your elements ready. We've just finished an incredible week of prayer. It's been an intense time of seeking God's face and committing ourselves and the church to God for 2021. Thank you all for all your participation this week.
1: Hey everyone, so I think I told the following story a number of years ago. It is a story about a guy called Larry and he just got so bored with life so he came up with this crazy idea. So off he went to the closest army surplus store and he bought 48 weather balloons. And the plan was to take a bucky or a truck as the Americans call it, a number of his friends, a garden chair, uh, go and tile the balloons to his chair, float up into the sky, gently enjoy the view. Um, He would have had a BB gun with him at the appropriate time, shoot some balloons and float gently down. All right, that was the plan. So off he went um, on the back of the bucky. They went and found a field, tied all the balloons to the garden chair. He climbed onto the garden chair armed with his BB gun, a peanut butter sandwich and a six pack of beer. His friends proceeded to untie him from the bucky and instead of gently floating up, he shot up like a cork. And within seconds, his friends could no longer see him. Two and a half hours later, the LA International Airport got this message that there was this unidentified flying object at four kilometers up in the atmosphere. Someone had phoned in and said, look, we've seen this guy. He's in a garden chair floating under these balloons and he's either dead or he's passed out, but he's holding a rifle. What must we do? And so a helicopter came in and somehow this rescue plan ensued where they were able to get him out of his garden chair into the helicopter and down to the ground. The funny thing was, well, amongst many other funny things, the funny thing was that they found him without having shot his BB gun at all and uh, four of his beers had gone. You see, when he went so fast up into the air, he freaked out and he did the only thing that Larry knew how to do and that was to drink beer and combining the alcohol with the thin atmosphere, he passed out. Alright, so the first group of people to get to him were the police who find him with obstruction of airspace and then the second group of people were these journalists who asked him the most obvious question, Larry, why on earth did you do this? And his answer was so telling. His answer was, I just got tired of sitting around. Now, I don't know if that answer resonates with you at some level, because maybe you're stuck in lockdown routines that are driving you crazy, or maybe you're just trying to keep your head above the water, and that is driving you crazy, or maybe things are kind of going okay for you, but you're in the rat race, and that is driving you crazy. See one of the things that sets human beings apart is this deep sense that our lives are meant for more, that there is supposed to be a meaning and a purpose to our lives and that is unique to us as human beings. I've got a wonderful black Labrador and, and she's amazing and she shows personality every now and again. She shows some signs of intelligence. My wife calls her a Labrador, not a Labrador. And uh, you know, she, she's kind and she's always happy to see us, but she has what I never see her doing. I never see her at night staring up into the stars, just wondering why she exists and if there's a greater meaning and a purpose to life. I mean, maybe she does do that. I just don't happen to see it. But when it comes to humans, the Bible tells us that this yearning within us is God-given. That yes, our lives are meant to mean something. There is a purpose to our lives that is given to us by our Creator. And therefore, we discover this purpose by aligning ourselves with our Creator. I don't know if you've ever seen those funny videos of people at the gym who are using the gym equipment in all sorts of wrong and funny ways. All right, and that's sometimes us like our lives. We think we're doing the right thing, but we're not aligned with our purpose. And that can only be discovered when we align ourselves with our Creator so that we can fulfill this meaning and this purpose. And I really pray that God speaks to you about that As we go into God's word in the book of Nehemiah. So turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're actually going to start off by going back half a verse to halfway through verse 11 in chapter 1. So let's read together where Nehemiah says, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. So just a quick recap, Nehemiah is in a Jew who is not in his homeland. He is in exile, all right? And yet Nehemiah is actually one of the king's personal attendants. He is the cupbearer. So he is living in luxury. He is living it well. And this book of Nehemiah opens up with him hearing this horrible, devastating news about what's happening back at home. And so Nehemiah, the first thing he does is he prays this prayer, which we've been journeying with during this last week of prayer and fasting. And he prays. And as he's praying, he gets a sense of what God is calling him to do. And the fact that what God is calling him to do is big and potentially dangerous. And so he's desperate as he prays this in prayer. His first priority before he becomes this man of action and this man of leadership and this man of getting the job done, his first priority is to pray. And so I'm wondering if this is your priority. I know that so many of us have so much to do. We are so burdened by the many tasks we have on our to-do list every single day that we don't even get around to everything. And for that reason, we conclude That we don't have time to pray. It's just an additional extra for those super spiritual Christians. But what if? What if God wants to bless a different and a new direction in your life? What if God wants to modify the direction in your life? What if God does want to bless what you're doing even more by being more involved in what you're doing? What if God wants to give you courage for that Big thing that big ask he has for you but you're not quite able to put into action how will you ever know that unless you precede your big actions by prioritizing prayer i'm convinced that the inspiration for what nehemiah knew he had to do practically came to him through prayer I'm convinced that the the burden grew and the conviction grew and the courage grew so that he could actually move from prayer to action. And I believe that is such a powerful lesson for us, especially those of us who tend to be people of action, that we need to make prayer our first priority and then move into action. So let's read from chapter 2 verses 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, and so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. You see, Nehemiah is now in the position where he has prayed He has prayed for God's favor upon these actions. But now he is practically putting his plan into action. And he admits, I love this honesty, that he admits he is afraid. I believe that so many of us believe a fallacy that life is supposed to be easy. And even more so as kind of Christ followers, we believe the fallacy that life with Jesus is supposed to be easy easy alright and when life gets difficult we therefore conclude that something's going wrong here and yet when we look at the entire Old Testament and the entire New Testament every single time that God encounters us every single time that God redirects our lives we see him making big asks of us alright we don't see God asking us to do little cupcake little easy rainbow things he makes huge asks of us why does he do that Well, he wants to see his kingdom advance. He wants to see victory. He wants to see obstacles overcome. He wants to see that we trust him. Even if I cannot see every single step along the way, he wants to know that this is what he has said to me and I'm going to demonstrate my faith and my courage and my conviction and my trust by putting this hard thing into action. And moving God's kingdom forward isn't going to happen by a whole series of easy little easy peasy things. So let's carry on reading. Nehemiah saying, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. I know I've just read half a verse, but I do want to stop there and make a quick comment here. Notice that Nehemiah is engaging with a pagan king. A king who does not share his belief system, a king who does not share his morality, a king who has overseen violence. And conquest and military conquest. And notice how Nehemiah does not respond to the king at this point in time. Notice that he's not using this opportunity to judge him and convict him and condemning, condemn him. Notice he's not using this opportunity to tell the king just how he has failed God and he has failed humanity. What does Nehemiah do? He speaks to this king with reverence and with respect. By the way, that is exactly what we see with similar people, like in the book of Daniel, we see him doing the same thing. We see Paul doing the same thing when he speaks to kings and governors. We see Jesus doing the same thing when he engaged with power. And yet I too often see that this is not the way that Christians respond to people in positions of power. It reminds me of a story of a pastor from a local church called God First. He was sitting on his Kulula flight. There was an open seat next to him a number of years ago. And lo and behold, the person who came to sit next to him was our past president who was president at the time. You've got to understand that this was at the time that a whole lot of scandals were coming out. Alright, and I bet you that many people, if they had this pastor's seat, they would have used that opportunity to offload on him and give him a piece of their mind and tell this man how he has failed God and failed his country. But I'm so grateful for this pastor who had the presence of mind to respond like Nehemiah instead. And he had a friendly conversation with this man and they spoke about things that they could laugh about and they spoke about their their family and they spoke about their friends and quite possibly this pastor did have some very strong convictions about this but he responded in a godly way with deference and with winsomeness and with respect and i think that we as christians can learn a lot about how nehemiah engaged with this king So let's carry on reading from the rest of that verse. May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, well, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. I I love this. I mean, Nehemiah had already had an awesome quiet time. He had already had a time of devoted prayer. He had already experienced God's presence, God's mercy, God's promises. He had already been inspired with conviction. He acknowledged that he was afraid and we are allowed to do the same. And he gets to this point where, man, oh man, I'm in this moment. And he feels the freedom that not only have I prayed this morning, but I get to pray now. I get to engage the God who is with me right now. God, Help me, help me. With what to say? How to respond to this man? And I think this is again another important lesson for us. I think it is so important for us to be able to have devoted times of prayer, like we have had this past week, where we do spend a, a larger amount of time bringing ourselves before God and seeking His face. And at the same time, and at the same time, you and I have the freedom to know that God goes with us. And so when we go into that big meeting or when we're about to have that life changing moment or that big decision that needs to be made or that tough conversation, yes we've prayed about it that morning and I hope that you have and we get to be in the moment and say God, God give me the wisdom, give me the words, give me the love, give me the perspective that I need right now. So we get to do these things with God. And so now I want to read from here to the end of our section this morning, to the end of verse 9, where he answers the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, here's big ask number one. Big ask number one. Let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, well, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Big ask number one, tick. Now he gets to big ask number two. So I also said to him, well, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And big ask number three, may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. And so I went to the governors of Trans Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And the king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. So as Nehemiah comes to this king, he's got three big asks. And his confidence to ask this king doesn't come from the fact that he knows he's a secret Christian. all right. His, this is a king who, if he was displeased with Nehemiah's request, could very easily throw him into prison or have him killed. And yet he comes with this confidence that was born in his time of prayer with the Lord. He comes to this pagan king. And he comes with his request, please let me go back home and rebuild the wall. Number two, please give me a personal security escort. And number three, oh, won't you pay for the rebuilding of the walls and the home that I'm going to personally live in over there? And then he says this, because the gracious hand of my God was upon me. Not Because I was eloquent, not because I'm so awesome, not because I had such a great plan, not because I was so persuasive, but because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, that favor that he prayed for that morning. The king granted my requests, plural, all of them. So this is the story of Nehemiah being burdened with his kingdom burden. Coming to God in prayer and then putting it into action, trusting God's promises and God's favor. And so, now for the rest of the message, let's move from Nehemiah to you. And so, my first question for you is this What is your kingdom burden? What is your kingdom burden? Maybe for some of you, as I ask that question, your response is, I know exactly what it is. God has been birthing this within me and the fire has been growing hotter and I know what God is calling me to do. But maybe some of you are like, Stephen, I literally have no idea what my kingdom burden is. And I'm so glad that you can respond like that because I want to ask some questions that can move you towards your kingdom burden. But before I do that, I want to point out that the answers to this question, your kingdom burden, as well as the other questions I'm going to ask in a short while's time, aren't confined to the walls of a church. Yes, maybe God might call you to step up your involvement in the local church and step up to serve and step up to lead. And God wants to use every single one of us in that way. But Nehemiah knew that God's involvement and God's kingdom burden wasn't only for what happened in the temple or what happened in synagogues or what happened in prayer meetings. But God was involved all over the world. God was involved in pagan kingdoms and Nehemiah knew that. And so as you bring this kingdom burden before God and he births this thing in you, don't be surprised if it's not only about a Sunday morning. Because it may involve something that is happening out here in the world. Because that is where God is at work as well. So let's look at three guiding questions that are going to help you move towards your kingdom burden. Question number one is, what has God positioned you for? What has God positioned you for? See, here's the situation. Jerusalem city walls are not being built. And, and the people of Jerusalem and the people of Judah are defeated and poor and they've got no ability and capacity and resources to do this thing. Well, imagine there was someone who knew someone who could authorize this whole thing, who could make this whole thing happen and who could fund the whole process. Well, it just so happens that Nehemiah knows someone who could authorize this thing. It just so happens that Nehemiah knew that this person could fund the whole thing and make the whole thing happen. And so Nehemiah doesn't pray what you and I sometimes pray. He doesn't pray, oh Lord, send somebody. Oh Lord, won't you burden somebody's heart? This can sound so religious and so righteous. Oh Lord, won't you burden somebody? Won't you lay it on somebody's heart to come and do this task? Nehemiah knew he was positioned by God for this kingdom burden. And so, where's God positioned you? Who are the circles that you move in? Maybe you're a teacher and you're placed in a in a specific school with a set of parents or a set of teachers and a set of kids. What is your kingdom burden there? And how's God positioned you there? Maybe you're in business, or maybe you have influence in circles that I will never have influence in. Where has God positioned you? Because that might help you understand your kingdom burden. Here's question number two. What has God prepared you for? What has God prepared you for? You see, everything in Nehemiah's life, the good and the bad, led him to this moment where he was acting out in obedience what he thought God was calling him to do with this kingdom burden. You see, we actually see in this text that Nehemiah and this king seem to have a very friendly way of being. In fact, we could probably even call them friends. When Nehemiah's character was trusted by this king. Nehemiah's perspective and even his faith was trusted by this king. Nehemiah had a certain set of gifts and abilities and talents for not only this moment with this king, but also all the moments that were going to happen as Nehemiah had to lead God's people to rebuild the war. And so as you look at your preparation and as you look at the good and the bad of your life, maybe you can't see how all of that has prepared you for your kingdom burden. Maybe you can't see how you look at your gifts and the talents, the ones you do have and the ones you wish you had, how that has prepared you for your kingdom burden. Or maybe some of the ways, the new ways that God wants to lead you to live out your giftings and your abilities. But I can promise you this, that where you are at right now, and when we look at the bigger picture of your life and the purpose for which God created you to move forward a kingdom burden in faith, God has prepared you for that. You and nobody else. So how has God prepared you? And maybe you don't know, you can come to God and ask, Father. Knowing me, knowing how you've made me, how you've created me, how you've prepared me, what is it you want me to do for your kingdom? And then question number three, what is God prompting you to do? What is God prompting you to do? One church leader used to call it a holy discontent where you see something that according to God's kingdom is just wrong it's a burden to you it sits with you in a deeper way than it does for anybody else and you know that you are being invited by God to act and to move and to be part of the solution so what is your holy discontent I'm not talking about the little things that irritate you I'm talking about a deep abiding sense that God's Holy Spirit is making you feel uncomfortable and is drawing you in to act with God as part of the solution so I'm wondering, as I asked that question, is there anything at the back of your mind? Anything that if you had to put pen to paper, well, maybe this is it. Maybe you can bring this thing out from the back of your mind and bring it before God in prayer, saying, Lord, I think this might be it. So, so why don't you do that? What is God prompting you to do? Maybe as you deal with all of these questions, it's going to feel like a very rough draft. I strongly encourage that while you may not have the time right now during this message, that during the course of this week, uh, and you also do this together with your life group, that as you seek to answer these questions, it's probably going to feel very much possibly unspiritual, it's not maybe always going to feel like this is what God is saying in my life. But as you think about, well, where's God positioned me? Have the courage to write some things down. Well, here is where I'm positioned and here's the circles of influence that I have. Well, how's God prepared me? Well, here are some of the giftings that I have, the abilities. How is God prompting me? Well, I, I, I don't really know, but if I had to write something down, just just have the courage to put all of that down and to move you onto God's agenda and to invite God to carry on leading you down towards your kingdom burden so maybe as again we look at all these questions you're not trying to discover something you know exactly what it is and so maybe the next thing for you is to do what Nehemiah did and that is to pray and that is to pray that is to confess your insufficiencies and come before God who is going to be your sufficiency and worship him and to see his glory and his power and then to ask him for his favor as you hold on to his promises or maybe you have done that and the next thing for you to do is to actually put your plan into action and to actually do something about it and maybe like Nehemiah that terrifies you that is okay that is okay because you are still going to take steps forward as you trust god trust his voice trust his promises trust his word and trust his character now i don't know how many people are listening to this right now 50 100 150 but i do wonder what would happen if 100 people did do this If a hundred people took this seriously, saw themselves as a creation by God and sought to align their life's meaning and purpose with how God created them, use this opportunity to move their lives with God onto His agenda, Imagine how many lives could be changed. How many schools or hospitals or businesses could be started or created or transformed as a result of this. Imagine the collective impact if God's people lived out their kingdom calling as they looked at their kingdom burden and moved it forward with God's power. My mind boggles. And that's why this book is so powerful for us as we've spent a week of prayer and fasting as a church preparing ourselves for 2021 as we're going to rebuild the rubble around our lives but not according to our kingdom according to God's kingdom burden for us and so this week has in many ways prepared us for this point God what is it you're moving me on to what is it you're calling me to do and I think it's so appropriate that we end this week together by taking communion And here's where we realize and recognize that the only reason why we have hope and confidence, the only reason why we can ask for God's favor is because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. As He took on all the penalty for sin and all the, th- the, the wrongdoing that we have done and will do. And all the distance between us and God. He took our failures onto Himself and then He gave us His righteousness. So that I can stand with confidence in front of the God of heaven. Here's when we recognize that Jesus knew where God had positioned Him. Where Jesus knew how his father had prepared him and the burden that God had prepared for him and him alone to bear and that he did it. I don't know if you've ever noticed that as Jesus was praying in the garden, he was burdened, yes, but he was also afraid. Lord, if there's any other way. And yet he got to the point where he could pray. Humble himself, and Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And maybe this communion moment can help you get to the same point where you're afraid as you become so aware of this kingdom-sized burden that is upon you. And then with faith and courage, you can pray, Lord, but not my will, but your will be done. So let us pray as we take communion together. So Father, as we come to the table we bring our hearts before you as we worship you, as we recognize that you, Jesus, took your kingdom burden forward in faith and obedience to your Father. And it is because of your obedience on the cross that we can stand with confidence. And so we want to honor you and worship you for what you did on the cross, taking us and, and giving us your righteousness. And so, Father God, as we take the wine and as we take the bread, we want to physically partake in what you have done. Physically bear our burden. Physically bear our crosses, Father God. But also walk in your resurrection as we remember your sacrifice on the cross. So as you've got your elements before you, I want you to take the bread, a picture of Christ's body, that was broken for you. Let us eat. And as we take the cup, a picture of the new covenant that we have in Christ, a picture of His blood that was shed for us. Let us remember His blood and drink together. Let us pray. Jesus, you went from the cross to the resurrection. And so we also go from the cross to live this resurrection life, this life of kingdom purpose that you have for us. So Holy Spirit, would you increase the sense of burden upon us? Would you enlighten our hearts to see how we've been positioned and how we've been prepared? Would you open up our ears so that we can sense and know and hear your prompting in our lives? And Father, as we come to you in prayer, would you strengthen us? Would you equip us? Would you drive the stakes of conviction deeper into our hearts so that we can act with faith and with courage, stir our hearts, Holy Spirit. And then Father, send us out, send us out with faith and conviction and courage and grant us favor as your gracious hand is upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.